Hey friends, it's Mark James, and it's Wednesday. It actually is. And it's also Wednesday, a week since the last podcast, which means that I'm on time. I'm here. If you heard that clicking noise, that's me bending my own fingers back till they make that clicking noise, which I quite like to do, especially with my right thumb. It's a little sort of L shape I bend my right thumb into, and it makes a clicking sound. I wouldn't say that I like it, but I certainly have to do it when it feels necessary. (laughs) You know what's funny about this podcast? I honestly have absolutely, genuinely, no idea what I'm going to say when I first start recording. I press record, and then I start to talk, and then whatever happens sort of happens. It's <laughs> Sometimes at this point as well, I think, should I just delete and start again? Be a bit more normal. I was tempted then. I thought, don't start with all this shit about cracking your fingers and that you don't know what you're going to say. Just start and talk about something real. And I have done that in the past. Who knows what you've missed out on. But um, I'd, I've decided not to. We're already a minute and nine seconds in, so I'm not starting again. It's three minutes to 6 p.m., I'm sitting on the couch, an L-shaped couch in a caravan in Great Yarmouth, which is in uh, Norfolk, county of the UK. And, well, the weather's not too bad. It's a little chilly, but the sun's out. And uh, it looks nice out the window. The reason I say it's chilly is because I've been for a very big walk today. I've walked so far today. Um, What's my watch doing? I've walked 7.9 miles so far from one end of the promenade to the other and then a little bit of just popping into town to get some bits and bobs, some nail clippers. Speaking of bending your fingers back in uh, hand-based sounds, Sarah hates the sound of nails being clipped. It's probably quite common. What is a hatred of certain sounds? called there'll be a name for this uh misophonia now i have misophonia about a bunch of things i cannot stand the sound of the inside of people's mouths when they're eating i hate the sound of cutlery being scraped on certain plates i'm I'm getting like a chill through my body now like a um a horrible tingling sensation everywhere now, just describing it to you. But uh, the common one is nails on a chalkboard is always described as, you know, the one that people hate. But misophonia. And Sarah's one is that she hates the sound of nails being clipped. I don't know if it's all nails being clipped or if it's just specifically mine, but I know that if I cut my toenails or anything, she hates it. And I'm very good with my nails. I don't bite them. I certainly don't bite my toenails. If I could do that, I would never leave the house. (laughs) I used to be able to get my toe in my mouth. I wonder what age I was the last time I could get my big toe in my mouth. I certainly remember being a certain age when I was capable of getting my entire big toe inside of my mouth. And I would frequently. I don't know why, but I because I guess because I could. I guess because I could is why I did. But I can't do that anymore. God, wonder what else I was capable of. <laughs> Maybe I could have been a gymnast. Anyway, so I'm sitting in the caravan right now. I've been for a big walk today. It is, of course, Wednesday. And I'm in the middle of a week of touring in Great Yarmouth. I did a show last night at Caister Haven Holiday Park. I have to say, it's one of my favourite rooms 
I would actually, I'd say in the world, I would say in the country, but it's not like I've worked. I mean, I've worked a lot more rooms in the country than I've worked out of the country, but um, it is one of my favorite rooms in the country. I've just booked my favorite room in the world. I'll come back to that in a bit. Let me just check it's in the notes so that I don't know it's in the notes. Um, yeah, so Caster is one of my favorite rooms in the world. The stage is quite wide, but it's got a gentle curve in it. Everybody in the room has got a great seat. There's no pillars or posts or anything that gets in the way of anybody seeing and the room is tiered as well it's in three tiers so basically everyone's got a great view and that makes for a good gig the sound system is great the screen is huge everything that makes the show good is good in that room and so i like it a lot i gigged in there last night i'm performing tonight at hopton holiday park and Hopton is great too although it's a little bit weird the thing that's weird about hopton is that it used to be a massive room years and years ago. And then they refurbed everything and they cut the room down. I guess they had a much bigger room than they needed. So they made the room smaller. And the way that they made the room smaller, if you imagine a typical entertainment venue with a stage at one end and a bar at the back and all that sort of stuff. What they did when they did the refurb is they essentially put a fake wall about 15 feet away from the front edge of the stage and then on the other side of that fake wall in the new room they built another stage and so what they had was a much smaller room with a nice new stage in and was all decorated and lovely and the bar still in the same position and all of that sort of stuff except behind that wall became the new backstage area except the backstage already had a the stage already had a backstage so what you had behind the wall was a stage that had its own backstage and the stage that you were sitting on effectively became another backstage for the stage that was out front so it was <laughs> it's like when you see yourself in a mirror and there's a mirror behind you and you can see multiple reflections. It was like that for the stage. You went backstage and backstage was a stage that had its own backstage. It's very strange, but I loved it. And they put couches on it. So it's really weird. Before you'd go out to perform, you'd sit on a couch on a stage and then you'd leave there and go onto a different stage that didn't have a couch and you do your show and it was fantastic and i still like the new room as well because it's got a great sound system great screens and everything uh, it's a nice size it's not going to be too busy tonight and what they've done that's really really smart at haven in all the new venues and it's something that up until now you only saw in comedy uh, venues or theaters where they would essentially be able to block off much of the room so the comedy store in manchester has this in the comedy store there is a giant room but they have three sections that they can close down and it makes the room way more intimate and of course if it's a small show or they haven't sold a bunch of tickets that's exactly what they do and so the room can feel three different sizes and they've done that at haven too if it's off-peak like it is now, and loads of people are not on vacation, holiday, they close down the room, and it feels permanent. It's like these fake walls that kind of drop in, and so it feels permanent, but when it's busy, they go out of the way, and the room is twice as big, and it's great, and I love performing in them. So tonight, I'll perform in a room that is half the size it's capable of being, 
it'll feel much more full because of that. The audience will be great and I'll have a nice time. And I do really enjoy these shows at the minute. And so that's been good. So I'm doing that tonight. And then tomorrow I will be at Seashore, which is the third of these three. That one tends to be the busiest out of the three, mainly because of location. Two of them are not, they're in Great Yarmouth, but they're away from the front. This one, Seashore, the third one, I mean, it's called Seashore, so I think you can guess where I'm going, is actually on the front. If you walk out of the front of the park, you're on the beach. And many of the caravans have got a beach view. And so, obviously, it's the most popular with regards to location. It's not my favourite with regards to um, the venue, I think I still like Caster the best. It's very six and two threes, though. They're so similar that it would be hard to pick them apart because they're all good down here. Seashore's had a new venue built as well. The old venue was really weird. It had a dead low ceiling when you were on stage, but they've got a new venue too. And I like all of the Ents managers down here. Dan, the Ents manager at Caster, I've known since he was a first year and then since he became Ents manager at um, Scarborough. And then Faye, I've known for years, who's the manager tonight. And then Kelvin it was a fun star the same time that I was. We've both been in the company the same amount of time. And he's a really one of my really, really good friends. And so I always like coming here because I like all of the teams, all the managers, all the venues. I like the town. I dare say a lot of the gigs I love because I don't have to sleep out of my own bed and I can drive to and from. This one and Weymouth, even though I've got to go away and be away from home, I still love them because they're nice gigs and I love the towns that they're in. I can't really complain. Normally on these gigs as well, I would go to Norwich. This is going to lead me seamlessly into the next topic, by the way. Normally on these gigs, I would one day go to Norwich, which is possibly my favourite city in the UK. One of my favourite cities in the world. It's very difficult to pick that, though, because there are some great cities. I mean, you know, I've been to Los Angeles. I've been to Paris. I've been to Berlin. I've been to Copenhagen. I've been to... I'm going to be missing some great... I've been to Chicago. I mean, I've been to some cities that I've really loved. London, <laughs> obviously. But Norwich. For me, actually, Norwich, I think, edges London a bit. London is brilliant, though, to be fair. It just is a lot of getting tubes to get... There's a, there's more in London. Norwich is like London, but on a small scale. I'll definitely have said this on the podcast before. And it's one of my favourite cities. The reason that I am not going on this trip is because I went at the weekend. Because at the weekend, uh, which is basically where we'll begin what's been going on, I've got so much to tell you this week, and I don't have a full hour to tell it to you. Um, but Norwich Friday is basically where the weekend starts. Be between the weekend and the last podcast, I, I did two more gigs. Green Acres in Wales and Skegness. Skegness was a temporary venue, never did it before. Sold merch there for the first time. I'll come back to that in a bit because it... The merch story is not about the gig. It's just about merch in general. Uh, but anyway, the real story starts on Friday. So Sarah and I take Joshua to his granddad's over in Blackpool. And then we head down to Norwich because we are seeing the singer Maisie Peters. If you have not heard of Maisie Peters, you are drastically missing out. I don't know how much of Maisie Peters the podcast would let me play before it flags it and stops it from working. So what I'm going to say is just go and listen to Maisie Peters yourself, but she's fantastic. I've mentioned it before that I'm a big fan. Um, 
I first started listening to her on YouTube and then she kind of started to get a bit famous. Then she spotted Ed Sheeran on tour and then she's doing her own tour now and she's got an album out and her next album comes out in June, which I'll buy immediately the day it comes out. I am a huge fan. She's got great lyrics. She's a good musician. She's got a fantastic voice. She communicates those lyrics through really, really nice, interesting, intricate and memorable melodies and I don't know that I've heard a single song of hers that I haven't liked. Some of them are absolute bangers that you can't stop listening to. But every now and again, there's a song that you're like, that's not bad. But I I don't think I've ever disliked a Maisie Peters song. There are other people who I love their music. There are John Mayer songs I can't stand. There are James Bay songs I can't stand. Jason Isbell songs I can't stand. You know, there are plenty of people who've put out music that I don't like. But... um, I don't think I've heard a single Maisie Peters song yet that I haven't liked. So Sarah and I were very excited to be going to see her on Friday. And my dear friend James, who books me all the time in Bristol, his brother-in-law is the lighting guy on the gig. He's lighting designer and lighting provider, tour lighting guy for loads of massive bands. The biggest probably uh, Bring Me The Horizon or Skunk Nancy or... I mean, he's done loads. I just flicked through his Instagram earlier today. He has done the lighting for loads of massive, massive touring bands. He even won Lighting Designer of the Year, um, I saw on his Instagram, which is amazing. And he's a lovely guy. So he got us the tickets as a favour for James because James told him that he loves us dearly, and we love James dearly, by the way. And so Tom got us into the gig, got us on the guest list. And then he came out and met us at the gig, which was very kind and unexpected. And then he said do you want to come and stand in the lighting booth so you're not getting bumped around? And we said, that would be amazing. So we went to the lighting booth. Now, the lighting booth at this gig, it was in Norwich Student Union, which uh, the capacity is about 1,600, and it was completely full, couldn't move at all. And people were bumping each other left, right, and centre with drinks and stuff, and the lighting booth offered, well, it was a lighting and sound booth. Firstly, it was exactly in the middle of the room. It had... The divide of the room where it went up a little bit behind it, which meant that we were basically shielded from the elements and we had space to put our drinks down and mill around and lean on stuff. And we weren't in anybody's way, but crucially, nobody was in our way. So we could see every single inch of the entire stage. We could see the band and Maisie from her shoelaces to the top of her headband. I mean, everything. There was nothing that was missing, which for a gig is surprising. We had the best view in the whole house. And most of the people attending the gig were students. And I'm 37 and Sarah is marginally older than me, four years and a couple and 10 months. Um... So Sarah said to me, do you think everyone thinks we're her mum and dad? (laughs) Because, you know, if you're 18, I'm twice your age, aren't I? So it's entirely possible that we were Maisie's mum and dad, but of course we're not. And uh, we wouldn't be quite old enough for that to be the case because she's in her mid-20s. But it was possible. It made me laugh when Sarah said it. Sarah's got quite funny recently, actually. She she says to me all the time, whenever I go, you've got funny, you know, she'll say, I've always been funny. Shut up. <laughs> and maybe she has, you know, but um, I've started to notice more and more recently. She's made me laugh a lot recently. But um, yeah, so we got to watch the gig. It was perfect. 
And then James had communicated to Tom that I should possibly do some magic for Maisie and the band. And I really didn't want that to happen because it's a lot of stress. And especially we're watching the gig and I was thinking, oh my God, we're going to watch this gig. And I'm the whole time I'm going to think I've got to go back and do magic for the band and all that. And I had a couple of drinks and it just wasn't the perfect situation. However, I ended up backstage. Sarah and I both ended up backstage with her and the band and obviously I'm not the kind of magician. Firstly, I don't do close-up magic. Secondly, I certainly don't walk around prepared to perform magic. I'm not the guy who walks around with playing cards on him or what we call everyday carry magic items. I just don't do it. I never, ever, ever am prepared to perform magic. And some people will say that's a slightly unromantic approach to magic because there are magicians throughout history who have always been ready to perform magic at the drop of a hat and have created near miracles. And there are magicians who have prepared for those situations months, sometimes years ahead of time by putting a playing card on the back of a picture in a famous restaurant or, you know, having the uh, staff at a restaurant hide a specific size block of ice in the freezer for them and all that sort of stuff and whenever I hear those stories I always think well that's amazing I mean Max Malini is the number one that springs to mind a magician called Max Malini who's almost famous for being ready to perform miracles at the drop of a hat and required such preparation that the people who saw the the miracles thought that they must be real miracles because nobody would have gone to the preparation required in order to achieve them. And of course he did. But all I ever think when I hear those stories is how many things did you set up that you never ended up doing? <laughs> how many restaurants had blocks of ice in their freezer that you never asked them to secretly bring out for you? Or how many pictures now in places around the world have got playing cards stuck behind them that nobody's ever seen and don't know are there? Just, I just couldn't be bothered with it. I think of magic as both a passion and a job. And my passion is to perform stage magic shows. But, like the Joker says in Batman, well, if you're good at something, never do it for free. I couldn't quite get it. You want to know how I got these scars? If you're, good at, if, if you're good at something, never do it for... No, I can't say that phrase. I can't do it. I can say, you want to know how I got these scars? And that's not bad, but it's not great. Anyway, so I, I'm just not that sort of magician. I'm never, ever, 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 ever prepared to just perform magic. That doesn't mean that I don't know a few things that I could do if I needed to perform magic, but I don't go equipped. You know, if you kill somebody accidentally, you get mur second degree murder, right? Is that right? If you kill somebody with a baseball bat that you happen to have in your car and you don't play baseball, or if you punch somebody and you're wearing brass knuckles or a knuckle duster that you keep in your pocket, or if you stab somebody with a knife that you have with you, or, you know, if you get caught... Uh, trying to break into or if you get caught in somebody's back garden then you're a trespasser if you get caught in somebody's back garden with a lock picking set in your pocket they call that going equipped it's a different crime and i do not commit the crime of going equipped to break into someone's house to do magic at the drop of a hat it's not who i am however i do have a fantastic trick in my show 
that involves the prediction of the exact moment that you end up in. The person chooses random numbers and they type them into the calculator and they add them together. And when they press equals, they add up to a total that happens to be the date and time of the exact moment that you are standing in right then and there. Okay. It's a great, great trick. In England, when I do the trick, you know, today it would be 264, 264,000, and then say 831. So it'd be 264,831. And that would be the 26th of the 4th uh, and the time 831. Of course, if I was doing this in America, it would be 426,831 because they, for reasons known only to them, put the month first. And also, we're the only country in the world that expressed the temperature in Fahrenheit. But anyway, um, those are things that I have to remember when I work in America. However, I was backstage in England. So I did that trick and I asked Maisie, how many lyrics do you think you've sung tonight? How many individual words do you think you've sung tonight? And she chose a number and I said, how many times do you think you spoke to your best friend on the phone who was a tour support act and all that sort of stuff? And it ended up being the exact date and time of the thing. She freaked out. The band freaked out. Everyone in the room was thrilled. I decided not to try and do even more magic because, you know, part of it is knowing when to quit. I thanked them for their time. I told them the gig was fantastic. I hope you have a great rest of the tour. Forgot to ask for a photograph, which would have been the ideal thing to do. Um, and especially because Sarah was with me as well, it would have been nice for her to get a photograph. It's just not something that generally occurs to me when I meet celebrities, because I think if we end up <laughs> if we end up friends one day, you'll always remember that I once asked you for a picture. And I'm most often when I meet celebrities, I'm in a position of they're supposed to be relaxing and I'm supposed to be entertaining them, right? They're, they're in a place where they don't want to be asked for pictures because they want to feel like a normal person and I'm supposed to be the entertainer. So to then reflip that relationship and ask for a photograph never feels correct and so I never do it. And so I've gotten out of the habit of ever doing that if I see a celebrity. And so as a consequential, I never remember to ask. So I didn't, but I did have a video of me performing the trick and I posted it online and yada, yada, yada. It's very nice. So that was our amazing Peter story and it was brilliant. And Sarah and I had a fantastic time. We got a cab back to the hotel where we stopped at McDonald's. I ate about 12 burgers. <laughs> Not quite 12, but I bought three and then Sarah didn't eat one of hers. And so I ate that as well. So there's a lot. I think they're the correct numbers. It might be worse than that. It might be better. I don't know. But um, we had burgers and stuff. We watched a bit of TV. And then the next day, we went to Norwich. And I fucking love Norwich. I mean, it's just so good. I had, I'm still giving up swearing, by the way. And you'll notice that I barely have this podcast. I've been doing really well on it. I've almost barely sworn this week in comparison to the week previous to that. I am doing well, but I do love Norwich. Great coffee, record shops, nice shops, nice food, all of that stuff. We had a great time. And then we had to drive to uh, the Grimsby area for me to do a show. And I did do a show. And I ended up selling merch for the first time. So I'm just deleting um, Norwich, Maisie Peters, Weekend with Sarah, talked about those things. But Sarah and I had a wonderful time. It was fantastic. And it culminated in going to do this gig. Um 
There's a shop in Norwich, by the way, called Working Title, which I absolutely love. It just sells so much brilliant stuff. I've seen a jacket in there that I love, a bag that I love. I'm going to get all of them. But when I get healthy, and that's really underway for reasons I'll come back to. Um, and also my favorite thing about the coffee in Norwich, and this might be an Asperger's thing. I don't really know how else to describe what I love about the coffee other than to say that coffee tastes brown, right? Even black, co even black coffee to me, sorry, I've just gotten the hiccups. Even black coffee to me, when I taste it, tastes brown. I associate that taste with the color brown. And the coffee at this place in Norwich, which by the way is called Strangers, Strangers Coffee in Norwich, their coffee tastes blue. I don't know how else to describe that other than to say their coffee tastes blue and it really, really does. And I don't know if that's an Asperger's thing, but I know that for me, certain flavors are very strongly linked to colors. And to me, coffee tastes brown, but theirs tastes blue and I love it. Anyway, so we get to that gig and I decide I'm going to sell some merch for once. And the reason I've decided to start, it's not actually merch, it's just after, after show sales. The reason I decided I'd start doing that, and I haven't done it across years and years and years and years and years. Uh, hang on. Um, the reason I haven't done that for years and years and years, I had to reply to an urgent message then, is because... I don't just want to sell some shit out of a box at the end of the show. I don't just want to have some unrelated merch that I shoehorned into the gig by giving it away to a spectator on stage, which, by the way, is essential for after show sales. You sort of have to use the thing you're going to sell as a gift to the person who you get on stage with you. And then that creates a demand and a want for that product. You know, there is a there is a sort of... Um, psychology behind it that I understand if you want to sell things you sort of have to lean into a little bit not exploit but you have to understand and use if you want to sell stuff it's it's important but I didn't want that to be the only thing I was doing I was determined it was going to be good however on and I've since done that which I'll tell you about but on Saturday I just wanted to see if the items that I got would sell there's a trick it's called the stiff rope and basically it's a a piece of rope that's about the length of from your fingertip to your opposite shoulder. It's about that long. If you stretched your arms out, it would go from your fingertip on one hand to the shoulder on the opposite arm, okay? And if you're my height, which is six foot, six foot one in the morning. Um, and I'm buying these for, you know, a good price. I'm selling them for only five pounds, okay? So I make, you know, say I make just under £3.50 from each one, if I'm being really out there with the figures, just to demonstrate to you. If I could sell a 100 of those a week, then that would be £350 a week. That I would, And, and by the way, that's basically impossible, selling a 100 of those. I mean, just to give you an example, last night, with a fairly quiet crowd, I sold two. And on Friday, uh, Saturday, with a not bad crowd, I sold like 15. So... So far, I haven't made back the money it cost me to buy them all. I'm still in the, still in the red. But if I could sell 100 a week in the peak weeks, that would be another £350 a week. And that would basically cover two weeks of expenses. 
you know, because I'll probably, between fuel and hotels, across every two weeks, spend at least £350 on fuel and hotels. Sometimes more, sometimes less. Sometimes quite a bit more, sometimes quite a bit less. But I'd say that's a good average across the season. So if I could cover that with a few good weeks of sales, you know, if the season's 30 weeks long, and for 15 of those weeks I do pretty good, then I could potentially use selling this merchandise as a way to offset my expenses. And it obviously would help with cash flow because it's a constant source of cash coming in, which then you can then spend at the petrol pump or, you know, it's just a much, it's a really good way to cover expenses. And of course, expenses have gone up and fees have not gone up alongside them. The fees that I get now are the same fees as I was getting last year. But last year, my electricity bill was a third of what it is now, my gas and electric bill. My fuel was half of what it is now. Everything has gone up massively. And so you've got to find ways to offset those costs. So I decided I would sell this merch. And I have other friends who perform in these similar venues and they have been telling me for season upon season that they do really well out of this merch and that they do sell well selling um, things like this. Similar stuff, different stuff. So I thought I'm leaving a lot on the table. I need to get involved. So I sold a few on Saturday and I realized it could be a popular item. And I did a very basic routine with it with the kid on stage that I was going to give it to because I just needed to get it out there and see if it worked. Then over the weekend, I thought really hard about what I could do with the trick. And I thought a rope going stiff, that's what the trick does. You basically extend the rope out and it goes completely stiff after being shown it can flop around. And then on your command, it goes back to flopping. And uh, it's a nice little trick. And I was thinking, well, the, the, the only thing I know in real life that's like that is an Indian rope. It's called the Indian rope trick. I call it the great Indian rope mystery. And I thought I'll base the routine around that. And I've actually been to India. So I have some experience of having flown to India and what it's like there. So I decided to include that in the routine. And basically I tell the story of going to India and telling people I was a magician and having them reply to me by telling me about this amazing trick that I personally have not seen. And the routine is based on that and me trying to recreate it. And it's quite funny. It's got a few jokes in. It's got some nice visual bits. The rope goes stiff. The audience make that happen. A kid in the audience shouts and makes the rope go back to normal again. I'm using a screen, which is basically like a, a vintage uh, tattered, like sort of aged Indian flag with the words great Indian rope mystery across it. And I'm using music, which is traditional Indian music, played on a bansuri, which is an Indian type of flute. I recorded everything and I sent it to some friends of mine who are Indian, um, three different people, and said to them, if I do this routine with this script and this music, is it okay for me to do it? Do you feel like I'm in any way culturally appropriating by using this music or any of that stuff? And they all replied, no, it seems great. As long as you're talking about India, Indian people, culture in a positive light. And, um, you know, what you're saying is true, which it is, then it's fine. And, and one of them said, actually, I've learned more from this script about India than I knew already. Because all the people I've asked are, of course, British Indians that I'm friends with. So I'm pleased that I've had, you know, kind of 
a bit of a nod that nothing in it is... I didn't think anything in it was problematic, but I wanted to know for sure that I wasn't accidentally using some really well-known, important cultural music or, you know, stepping across any boundaries. I thought it's just worth doing the due diligence, and I did it. I tried it out last night in a very, very quiet room, so I didn't expect the sales to be good. And actually, having looked at that room based on how many people were in it, I wouldn't have even bothered trying to sell because everyone tells me if it's quiet, we don't really bother. But if it's busy, you think, well, that's the night you've got to do it. But I was so keen to try the routine out that I went ahead and tried to sell anyway just because I wanted to try the trick. And I'm pleased that I did because actually I really enjoyed performing the bit. And I think that in and of itself, the the trick is good and the routine is good. So um, I'm going to keep it in. Whether I sell or not, I'm going to still keep doing it. And I'll do it again tonight. Who knows if I'll sell anything, but I'll certainly do the trick because I'm enjoying working on a new thing. So I've got a new bit. It's called The Great Indian Rope Mystery and I'm enjoying it a lot. Um, and I now sell merch at gigs. And the other thing that happened at the weekend, by the way, is that I ate like absolute shit. I mean, Sarah and I, we ate everything we could find, basically. I was worse than her. But we finished biscuits and chocolate and stuff in bed on Sunday night. All of it. And the reason we did that is because when I was driving home from a gig, um, I got a call from... What gig was I driving home from when this happened? Oh, it was on the Thursday when I was driving home from Skegness. I got a call from the booker at the Magic Castle, the entertainment director, confirming the date that I'd asked for in June. So I am absolutely 100% going back to the Magic Castle the last week of June, leading into the first week of July. And I'm performing in the late parlor, the parlor of prestidigitation, which is my favorite venue to perform in in the world and my favorite spot to perform in it. I've worked out some new stuff that I'm working on now of doing that room. I think it's going to be a great week. I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to record all of the shows on a really good camera. And I'm going to get something out of it beyond just doing the gig. I'm going to get some great footage to publicize my new material. And it's actually given my life some real format, you know. Knowing that I'm performing at the Magic Castle in basically 62 days is... And it was 64 or whatever at the time. Um, it's the exact right amount of time to commit to making a healthy change. I mean, I lost 50 pounds in 42 days before, right? So what can I do in 60 days? Can I lose 60 pounds if I lost 50 pounds in 42 days? Could I conceivably lose 60 pounds, which is over four stone? Could I lose more than that? I don't know. But what I do know is, God damn it, Sarge, I'm going to try. And so on Monday, I signed up for the local gym and... They're doing a thing at the moment where you can obviously sign up for a year and you're locked in a contract. It's £40 a month or for £60 a month, which is, you know, it's a third, it's a half on top again, as it's 50% on top again. But you're not signing into a contract. It's a rolling monthly agreement that you can cancel at any point. So I decided I'd take it out until we go to the Magic Castle. I swam Monday and Tuesday. Monday, I swam 750 metres. Tuesday, I swam 1,000 metres. Today, I'm away, so I haven't swam, but I've done a big walk, and I'm going to walk again later. But tomorrow, I'm going to go and swim in a local pool down here in Great Yarmouth and uh, do some walking as well. I'm going to get out earlier in the morning than I did today. I stayed in a little bit today so that I could eat. Um, I made 
vegetable microwave vegetables with um italian herb seasoning on i talked about it on the podcast before my friend my friend fraser fabulous fraser fraser stokes who has recommended me for gigs and i mean you're a if you're listening to this and i think you might be you're a lovely man let me just say that fraser stokes fabulous fraser fantastic entertainer he's got a great act which is manipulation where he's dressed as a sort of is tramp an okay word to use i think that's the vibe um but it's called the Hamish Act, and I'll be performing with him this weekend. And I think he's doing that act. I'm not sure. I think he is. But um, oh, but he might not be, because he said he was going to juggle. So I don't think he is doing that act. I'm not sure. Anyway, I'll be performing with him this weekend. And he told me that he'd made this same meal. He'd tried it out. So I made it again today, and it's basically just microwave vegetables, a big bowl, broccoli, baby sweet corn, uh, carrots, uh, green beans, stems, all sorts of stuff. Microwave for five minutes, put the Italian herb seasoning over the top, bit of um, sriracha sauce, delicious. Loads of different textures, loads of different flavors. And I wanted to eat that this morning because I was eating today, so I did. But tomorrow I'm going to get out earlier and swim and do a big walk again. So yeah, being healthy and I'm sort of ready for the Magic Castle. I think that that is going to be the thing that turns this franchise around. So I've been looking for something to make me commit and I really, really believe this is it. I'm on day three. I've exercised. I've been healthy. Uh, I got weighed after day one. Sarah told me I'd lost five pounds. I don't know what my weight is. Again, I'm not looking. I'm going to look after two weeks. <laughs> um, but Sarah looked at my weight and she wrote it down. And she wrote down yesterday's weight. And when I get back, she'll weigh me Friday morning. And I'll find out what I weigh then. And... Um, I'll just keep going, just going to keep going and keep losing weight and keep being positive and trying to, you know, um, what's it called? Keep trying to be on it and make changes happen. I've just had a message again on, um, oh, okay, um, asking about what material I'm doing tonight, that's funny, um, I'm just asking, I'm replying to someone's message. They've asked me about uh, what material I'm doing, which is quite funny, so they're going to see my show. Um, sorry, I just replied to this. Um, and 30. Okay, I've replied to two messages. Sorry, friends. So, um, I think that's going to be the one. I think that's going to be the thing, and I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be the best. Oh, by the way, Joshua's coming as well. Joshua's coming to America for the first time. Um, and Sarah, but all three of us going together, which is going to be fantastic. What that'll mean, of course, is that Sarah and I will do loads of stuff that we haven't done since the first time. You know, we haven't been to the houses from Back to the Future and stuff since the first time. We didn't go to Universal Studios last time because we'd been the previous times. Things that you do the first time that are brilliant, but you think, well, I don't need to do that again. Now we do need to do it again. And now, of course, we'll do them again through different eyes and enjoy them in a different way. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited to have a reason to sort of... It's like re-watching a film that you loved. But, like, I remember watching The Mist and thinking, that was amazing, but I don't need to watch it again. It's too, dep <laughs> too depressing and scary. But then I did watch it again for Joshua to watch it, and he found it depressing and scary, unsurprisingly. But, um... 
Yeah, that'll be really nice. I'm really, really excited. Sarah's excited. Joshua's excited. And we're all committed to making change. We're all eating healthy. We're all doing extra exercise. And we're all on it. And the extra component of that is I need to be on it with regards to rehearsing and working on the show. So, you know, I'm doing it. Um, when I was driving to a gig this week, I was desperate for a wee, a pee. Isn't it funny that we say we in England, but you say pee nearly everywhere else? We have a wee, they have a pee. Anyway, I needed a wee, a wee pee. And I decided to stop in a lay-by because as I was driving, the lay-by looked incredibly covered. And then I got out of the car and realised that from the other angle, it was entirely open. But my body had already decided it was going to start weeing because I needed it for over an hour. So I had to open both doors of my car and stand in between them. And then once I was standing in between them, I had to pee. There was no room not to, to pee against the, my own car, against the back door of my own car open on the outside. And I just basically put my hands on top of the door as if I was just steadying myself and stretching, but I was peeing all over my car door in order to just go, I was desperate. And then I got to the gig and did it. <laughs> but that was weird. That was a funny one. Um, and talking about rehearsal, <clears throat> I've now got the space to do it in because I basically rejigged the office. You know, the old office, the performance, the studio where I broadcast gigs and stuff from? Well, I'd never really appreciated how long it was going to take. But the other night, I'd been talking about it for days. I'd been saying, <clears throat> you know, when you've got to go to work or do a gig, maybe you don't if you're not a performer, but if you've got to do a gig, you quite often think to yourself before you get ready to, for a gig, oh, you know, if I didn't have a show tonight, I would do that other job. And then on the nights when you don't have a show, you don't do that other job. You do fuck all. You just, oh, there's me swearing again. You just sit there and do nothing. And you think, should I do that job? No, I got a night off. I won't bother. Well, on this night off, I finally decided I'm doing it. I am doing this job. I went out to the office and I decided I was going to stay out there until it was done. You stay till the job's done, as Brad Pitt says in uh, Snatch. And it involved going backwards and forwards to the house to get stuff, take stuff, bring stuff, whatever. Backwards and forwards to the car to make stuff, reset things, do all different jobs. But I did it. I absolutely did it. I tidied all of the shelves up and reorganized things, decks of cards, products, um, tricks. I have like two sets of shelves <clears throat> and one of them is all routines, but it's all routines that are basically ready to go. What it means is that they're labeled and everything required to perform that routine is on the shelf. So it's all set up. So I've got shelves like that. Then I redid all of the bit that's on camera, like redecorated it all a little bit, moved things around, made it look nice, tidied it up, just moved everything around. So it was all sort. It's the most organized space ever now. And as I was going that far, I thought, why not, just for the hell of it, get it broadcast ready again? So I did. I plugged in the camera, put the batteries in, got the connectors, checked everything, updated all the software and basically set everything up so that if I wanted to, I could go live again using that setup. Every single different thing. And I checked it all and I did it. And so now what I've got is the capability to once again um, go live, to record footage, to potentially record instructional material if I want to. And you know what? 
I might just do that. I might just start recording instructional material and setting stuff up and going live on Facebook and stuff more often because nobody really does that anymore. When was the last time you saw someone go live on Facebook? I haven't seen it in forever. And I used to do shows on there all the time. Well, I might bring it back. That might be another project for this year. So I had a little bit of fun doing that. And now that it's done, I can't wait to work in that space again. That space feels really usable again. And like my life will be made easier by it. One of the main things I need to do is um, put down some sort of stone path so that you don't have to walk across grass to get in there. Because that's the other thing that puts me off. I always have to take my shoes off before I go in there. It's just a bit of a pain in the arse. If I didn't have to take my shoes off, I'd be in and out of there all the time. So I did that as well. And I'm really, really pleased that I did because that space is entirely usable. And I'm going to use it. I'm excited. Um, virtual shows are dead, of course. But that doesn't mean that you can, can't create your own opportunities. So I will. Maybe I'll do some live lectures where people can just subscribe and I'll teach stuff online and you just pay to be part of it. Maybe I'll record stuff. Maybe I'll just do some free stuff on Facebook. Who knows? But I think I'm going to do it. One thing I noticed during lockdown is that like I did a lot of lectures for clubs and I got paid not great fees, you know, to lecture for the club. But nobody watching it was paying. And, you know, you do a club and you might lecture for the 30 people who are at that club. But there's loads of clubs who don't book you to do live lectures. But I bet some of their members would like to see you. And, you know, worldwide, what if I could get 200 people who want to see me lecture all to pay 20 quid each? Jesus Christ, I'd be absolutely laughing. I'd be rolling in it. I'd have more money than I know what to do with. So, you know, if I could get 200 people to pay 20 quid to see me lecture online. Or, I mean, God, that'd be, well, it'd be four grand, wouldn't it? But what if I could get them to pay 10 to see an online lecture and then have access to a recording of it afterwards? It'd be great, wouldn't it? And ask questions and stuff. So maybe I'll do that. I don't know. I've been thinking about doing that in real life, doing seminar days in real life. But if I could do online ones as well, that'd be fantastic. So I might do that. Uh, who knows? But either way, I've got the space set up to be able to do it. And I think that I might. Um, today, as I was walking in Great Yarmouth on the front, I'm about to finish, by the way. Sorry if this has been a shit or an intermediate or a great podcast. I've really no idea. Um, but it is shorter than normal because I have to get ready to go and do a gig. But as I was walking along, there's an ice cream van which parks way out of town at the bottom of the promenade and I guess the, it's called Damasio Isis and it's been there for years and years and years and he always parks there down near the sort of port area but people drive down the promenade and they park their cars and they get an ice cream there and I can't understand why he parks there but similarly I don't understand how anybody knows it's there and ends up buying an ice cream it's mind-blowing that it, that it works, but it must do, otherwise it wouldn't still be there. And he's been there for years. And when I drove, uh, walked down there today, I saw some people who'd driven down there and it was four old people. And they must have been in their 70s, maybe bordering 80s, but certainly no younger than 70s. And all four of them were in a car, two in the front, two in the back, of course. And all four of them had ice cream like whippy soft ice cream you know that comes out of a machine where you pull the handle down and it lays the ice cream up into the cone all four of them had ice cream cones and all four of them were licking their ice cream at the same time and the sight of four 
70 to 80 year old people all licking an ice cream at the same time, their own individual, not the same one, all licking ice cream at the same time was the most beautiful, disgusting thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I really don't know how to describe it. It was just weird. It was like an episode of Black Mirror or like accidentally slipping through the cracks into an alternate universe. Four people, all, you know, septuagenarians or octogenarians, octogenarians, licking an ice cream, synchronized ice cream licking at the same time with their mouths wide open, taking on the side of a, an ice cream. And it was just really stra strange enough for me to mention, strange enough for me to take my phone out of my pocket and in my notes, write the words, older people licking ice cream. So make of that what you will. Uh, but it is strange. And in my little cooking bag, which is right here, by the way, I'll tell you what's in it. I think I told you already, I've got this Three Peaks bag that has two insertable bags. And um, in one of them, I keep stuff for cooking. And in the other one, I've got my V60 for making coffee. I'll tell you what's in the, in the smaller one is just the V60. In the bigger one, I'll tell you exactly what's in there. I have coffee filters for the V60. A vacuum sealed um, pot, which I'll be honest, I think is for putting weed in. It's a bit bigger than a can of Coke quite a bit bigger than a can of coke like you can only just say get your hand around it but it's a it's a black cylinder it's very uh discreet and it has a button on the side that says press and when you press this button it allows you to remove the lid because it releases the vacuum seal I'm just smelling the coffee god i love the smell of ground coffee but if you don't press the lid uh, if you don't press do you hear it then listen you'll you'll hear it I'm, I'm trying to press the lid down now and nothing is happening but when i press the button in you hear that sound that's the air getting squeezed out so without the button pressed you can't get the lid on or off and it's a vacuum sealed thing and i honestly i think it's for keeping weed in but i keep ground coffee in it and it's a good size it fits like 400 um well, you could fit a can of Coke inside of it. If you took the lid off, you could perfectly fit a 330 milliliter can of Coke inside and then put the lid on. So that's how big it is. And that's got ground coffee in. I have a full-size tub of Flying Goose Sriracha, hot chili sauce, which I love and put on nearly everything. I have a little tub of garlic Italian powdered seasoning, a little tub of classic barbecue seasoning, which by the way, I haven't used yet. I bought it and I haven't used it to the point that I haven't even taken the lid off and taken off the little white thing that stops it from spilling. Uh, I'm going to do that now because I want to smell what it smells like. It doesn't smell like barbecue. It's barbecue seasoning. To be fair, it does smell like barbecue. Um... Main ingredients, dried onions, cumin, chili pepper, oregano, salt. I mean, fair play. I mean, it looks nice, to be fair. It looks like it'll be good. So I've got that. I have a little tub of... Now, I love coriander, but you can't get... Coriander obviously goes off because the plant rots. But coriander leaf is dried, has a very similar taste. It's not quite as good, but you can get that in a little pot. So I've got that here as well. I have loads of sachets of miso soup itsu miso easy it's called and i've got a traditional one and i have a chili one and you basically just add hot water and once you've added hot water you've got a bowl of miso you can drink this like a sort of cup of soup it's only 31 calories but i, I like it a lot 
So I've got that. I have um, some protein noodles, bare-naked protein noodles, because they basically last forever. Again, it's very important that stuff in this bag doesn't go off. It needs to be something that lasts forever. So I've got those. I haven't used them yet, but they're incredibly low-calorie. I don't know what they're made out of, but a whole bag of these noodles is like 27 calories, which seems insane. I have some Fry Light, which is a one-calorie extra virgin olive oil, olive oil spray. And finally, and I think most importantly, I have these sachets of Crystal Light. You hear that? If you've never heard of Crystal Light, I massively recommend it. My friend Bill, who is Canadian, he recommended it to me. And it's super, super low-calorie. A full sachet of this, which goes into uh, a litre and a half to two litres of water, which is two quarts if you're American. Um, but you probably know what this is if you're American. But um, you basically just tear off the sachet and you pour it into a two litre bottle of water. You, do, you can get smaller ones as well, but I have these big ones. And they come in loads of different flavours. Lemonade, grape, strawberry lemonade. The strawberry lemonade one is delicious. I've got traditional lemonade with me at the minute. But I buy litre and a half bottles of Volvic uh, water. Volvic's my favourite. And I just tip one of these in and it turns that water into traditional tasting lemonade. So it's very nice to drink. It's almost no calories and I'm getting way more water. I find that when I use this, drinking sort of two and a half, three litres of water a day is just way, way easier because it's very Moorish. So that's what's in my little bag. I made a note to just tell you what was in the bag. <laughs> Sarah will message me going, fuck me, when you describe what was in your bag, and bear in mind, I'm not swearing, but she still might. Um, when you describe what was in your bag, that was one of the most boring bits of podcast you've ever released to the world. You should be ashamed of it. But uh, what can I do? This is who I am. So anyway, um, that's what's in the bag. Right, I'm going to go. God, I did end up doing 54 minutes in the end. Oh. Now I need to get ready because it's 10 to 7 and I really need to leave this caravan just after 7 because I'm on stage at 8 o'clock. Jesus. Uh, right, friends, I will speak to you all soon. Have an awesome week. And next week when I speak to you, I will have performed tonight at Hopton, Seashore tomorrow. I'll have uh, performed at a magic convention Friday night, lectured at a magic convention Saturday morning, a Victorian festival Saturday night in a different country, that's got another country in between them, a Victorian festival Sunday night, and been to a friend's wedding. I'll have performed in Air in Scotland, uh, Haggerston Castle on the border of England and Scotland, and I'll be doing Blue Dolphin in Scarborough that night. So let's just say a shitload of things are going to happen between now and next week. And if it's really good, I might even tell you my weight. Who knows what will happen? I'll see you all then. Bye, friends.